All right, so we're going to talk about obedience and willfulness today. Disobedience is a love problem. Tell that to your neighbor. Disobedience is a love problem. So what we mean by that is that you, you disobey someone if you don't love them. But if you love somebody, you just want to do something that pleases them all the time. So disobedience is always going to have its core root in a lack of love. You don't love them. I mean, if you love them, you will do something to please them. If you love your spouse, you do things to please your spouse. If you love your children, you do things to please your children. If the children love you, they do things to please you. If they remember that they love you, uh, they want to do what you say. So disobedience is always a love problem. So your disobedience towards God is always a love problem that you have with God. Now, we know that in the last days, this, this terrible time is going to happen. Jesus told us in Matthew chapter 24, verse 12, he says, because, of because lawlessness will abound, the love of most will grow cold. So we, Jesus told us, look, in the end days, people are going to have a love problem. You know, there's going to be so much wickedness, there's so, so much wicked things happening around the place that the people who love me now, their love will grow cold because they'll start loving other things rather than loving me. So he said, look out, there's a problem coming. He says, so disobedience towards God and willfulness against God will be starting to see, be seen more and more in our society. Jesus says, Second Thessalonians chapter three verse three. You can write that in your little passage where it's got the, the scripture notes part. He says, "Let no one deceive you by any means, for the day, that day, the coming of the Lord, when Jesus comes back, he says, will not come unless the falling away comes first, and the man of lawlessness is revealed." So he's saying there, look. We would like to think that the church is going to get stronger and stronger and stronger and going to expand and revival is going to take over the whole place. But when Jesus comes back, before he comes back, it's not, it's not going to be filling up a place. It's going to be emptying. The place will be emptying. There will be a falling away. The love of many will grow cold and a lot will fall away from the faith. So that's what you would be seeing. That's the sort of thing that you would be expecting to take place if it's getting near to Jesus' return. And we know that in the church today, I was reading articles about the church today, generally speaking, there's a decline in religious faith. There's a decline in people who believe in God. There's a decline taking place because people are leaving it, opting for materialistic ideas, hedonistic ideas, opting for um, worldly views rather than God's views. There's a slipping and a falling away. So we would see that start to take place. And what I want to do today is try and work with you and, and, and talk to you about how to make sure that you stay strong at these terrible times. The Bible tells us in 2 Thessalonians 9 verse 10, this is, it says, The coming of the lawless one will be in according with the, the working of Satan with all power, signs, and lying wonders. So there's going to be sort of like miracles happening around there, but they are lying miracles, they're deceptions. They're not really happening. It's like a deception. It's a dece deception going on. With all unrighteousness, deception among those who perish, they did not receive the love of the truth that they might be saved. You see, there's a love problem. The reason why they get so easily deceived is they did not receive love of the truth. What's love of the truth? Love is, this love is bound up with knowing what the Word of God says and hanging into the Word of God and studying the Word of God so you know what the truth is. If you don't love the truth, you're ready to be deceived. 
Because deception can only come to you when you don't know what the Bible says. When you know what the Bible says, you can't be deceived. So if they don't, you see, disobedience is a love problem. It's a problem when you don't love God with all your heart. It's a problem when you don't love your fellow man. And it's a problem when you don't love the word of God. Deception is horrible. Disobedience is horrible. Willfulness is horrible. In 1 John chapter 2, verse 15, and this is, you know these verses. These verses are common to you. It says, do not love the world or the things that are in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in them. And I want you just to think that one through a little bit. If you love the world, John says categorically, the love of the Father is not in you. So that basically means you can't have one foot in the world and play the worldly game and then one foot at church and play the church game and think that walking this way between two worlds is okay. John says, you know, it's not that way. He's got this black and white thinking, John. He says, if you love the world, the love of the Father is not in you. You can't say, well, I've got a little bit of the world and I've got a little bit of church and I'm, I love Jesus at church and I, and I love the world when I'm at it. No, he said, if you, he said that's hypocr- hypocrisy. He says, and the love of the Father is not in you. There is only one way, all into Jesus or out. You've got to keep that in your mind because he's making it very, very clear to us that disobedience and willfulness is a love problem when you love other things more than you love God, when you love people more than you love God there's always going to be a problem. And so Matthew chapter 6, verse 24, and we looked at this last week, Jesus said these words. He says, you cannot love God and mammon. He used the word mammon, and that's the Chaldean word for a a god of riches, a demonic god of riches. He says, you can't love them both. You can't love God and money. You see, we can't walk in this place where we've got one foot in the world and one foot in the church. We can walk this way and have these ideas and, and have this ideology and then come to church and have a different idea. You know, Jesus says you cannot do that. That's impossible for you to maintain your faithfulness before God if you try and do that. So turn to your neighbor and say, there's only one way. That's Jesus. That's the Jesus way. Jesus, in, in 1 John, John says these words in verse 6. He says, If we say we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. And how many people have you heard that say, Oh, well, well, I'm a Christian, I'm a believer, and yet you look at their lives and they're walking in darkness. They are practicing the wrong thing. They are doing the wrong thing. They are thinking the wrong thing. And they say, Oh, yeah, but we're Christians. We have... He said, Paul, John says, you can't do that. He says, you cannot say that you're walking with Jesus and then have fellowship with darkness and, and do dark things. He says, if you're doing that, he says, you are a liar. You're just telling lies. So see, John is really black and white. But I suppose black and white thinking comes from when you love someone so much, hey? when you love God so much. It's just black and white, really, isn't it? It only gets grey when you start to shift your focus away from God. So there's no foothold in both camps. You can't walk in both camps. You can't get along in life in both camps and say, it's okay, I've got my affection here and I've got my affection there and I'm just doing this fancy footwork as I'm going through life, walking through two, these two gardens. You know, It'll all come crashing down around you because God is not looking at it and saying, oh, that's pretty fancy footwork. He's looking at it and saying, you're living a half-hearted, compromised life and I'm going to spew you out of my mouth. 
So if Jesus were to come back right now and you're living that way, it would be a horrible, horrible scenario for you. Because you'd say something like, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and are disobedient and willful, not doing what I want you to do? Disgusting when you think about it that way. But we never really put ourselves there. We always think, no, 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 I'm okay, I'm okay. We deceive ourselves. We live in a place of deception rather than confronting the fact that maybe our heart has grown cold from our passionate love for God. Remember in Revelations, the sin of the Ephesus church was that they had lost their first love. They were doing all the works, but they had lost their first love. See, Jesus is wanting us to maintain our first love, to to get our first love hot and to keep it. He says, he who overcomes will, will stand in the end. So Paul actually wants to describe what this, this lifestyle is, and this, this terrible falling away lifestyle. This is what he says in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 to 5. There's a lot of things that he talks about. He says, in the last days, perilous times will come. So who believes we're living in the last days? Put your hand up if you think Jesus is going to come back soon. Who doesn't think Jesus is going to come back very soon? Well, it, well if... It doesn't matter what we think. If you don't think he's coming back, he says in an hour that you don't think, then he's going to come. And if you think he's coming, my grandfather thought he was coming, my great-grandfather thought he's coming, and I'm still here and they've gone, and, and I'm a grandfather now, so maybe, you know, you know what, I'm just going to wait in expectation. So, but he says, in the last day, perilous times will come. He says, men will be lovers of themselves. So the word lovers there is they will be hot, passionate for themselves egocentric, narcissistic. We've got this um, self-love, self-image mentality. Look in the mirror, take a photo of yourself and plaster it all around the world. You know, look at me, how many likes did I get? Yeah. You know, perilous times. Men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money. Want money? Give me money. I work for money. The center of the whole universe. Disobedient. Unloving. So that's obviously unloving to others. Lovers of pleasure. Rather, That's hedonistic. They want pleasure. Lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of God in this, but denying its power. Now, there are lots of other things that are included in that whole passage. It talks about a whole lot of other things. I just, I've just, you see those little dots? I just drop them out and I just put down the things that are problems with love. Because disobedience and willfulness is a love problem. It says having a form of godliness, but denying the power. It means these people go to church. So they go to church and they, they're, they're disobedient to their mum and dad. They think that that's okay. We're just teenagers. That's what we do, you know. They're disobedient to their work. They, they argue with the boss or they, they have their own mind. It's all about what they want to do. They won't ever submit into a situation that, and, and, and work with others as a team. He says, these people come to church on Sunday. They have a form of godliness. Yeah, I believe. I go to church. He says, but they deny the power of it. You know what the, you know what the power of, of, of a changed life is, this, is the power of godliness. Jesus comes to change us. He comes to make us different. And when you apply yourself to the word of God and you love God and you love your fellow man and you, do, and you love the word of God, it changes you. 
You can't keep on living the same way. You can't keep on doing the same things. It changes the core of you. And so you become unsettled if you do the wrong thing. Your conscience starts playing up and your conscience says, you can't keep doing this, Mark. You can't. And it starts to stir you up to change you, to become different. So you become more like Jesus. So you become more obedient and more compliant to the will of God rather than fighting God all the time. So these people, he says, in these last days, he says, they're going to, their love is all in the wrong place. They love everything else, but they do not love God. They say they do. They come to church, but they don't love God. And he says, if you know those people, he says, keep away from them. The reason why he says keep away from them is because the Bible says in, in Corinthians, it says, bad company corrupts good morals. And remember in Galatians chapter 6, we looked at that scripture. It says, if someone's caught in a sin, the, the, the spiritual should go to him and, and help him because, and he should watch himself lest he be tempted. There's something contagious about sinfulness. Think about that. It's like a disease that seeps in. You spend more time at school talking to people who are not Christians and they say, why should you have to? Why is your yeah. And all of a sudden you get attitude. Attitude towards mum and dad. My kids, when they were growing up, they didn't hate me and they didn't hate Jen. But their friends certainly hated their mothers and fathers. And they'd say, I hate my mother. I hope I'd never see her again. I'd kill her if I could. That sort of behavior, that sort of language coming out. Oh, there's lots of brokenness in homes and lots of people being hurt in homes. Daddy's leaving mummies and mummies leaving daddies for other men and there's a whole lot of broken trust and a whole lot of anger and a whole lot of resentment that's built up in, in young people's lives and they hate their parents because their parents who can't keep their own lives together are trying to control their lives and then they say, you can't even keep your life together. Why are you trying to control my life? And off, off it goes. And you sit and spend time with them, kids, and what happens is you start to develop that same sort of, but it's not like, you have any reason to develop those. It's just a spiritual contagion. It's just a sickness, a rebellious sickness that comes upon you, trying to mess with your head. Have a look at this. So where are you going? To the party. What, without me? I wish. Didn't Mum say you couldn't go? Yeah, but Mum always says that. She's such a spoil sport. Yeah. What's your problem? I don't know. I just don't want to go. Shut up! You always say that. Don't even start. So, where are you going? To the party. What, without me? Yeah, I wish. Didn't Mum say you couldn't go? Yeah, but she's always saying that. She's just a spoiled sport. Yeah. What's your problem? I don't know. I just don't want to go. Shut up! Don't even start! You do this all the time. What is it? I just thought you loved Mum. I do. 
Don't harm me. What's your problem? You're always getting in the way. You're my problem. Look, I just remember the time that you went to the movies with your friends and you weren't allowed to, and you got all nasty and wet anyway. And then you had to get mum to pick you up because your friends were being all mean to you. That was a long trip back in the car. Mum could have been really nasty to you, but she wasn't. You were crying, and she helped. I realised how much she loves you and how faithful she is, and how your friends just ditched you at the movies. Now I'm seeing what's more valuable and worth hanging on to. I remember how that felt. Do you remember that? Yeah, I remember. So, what are we doing tonight? Pizza. I like pizza. Mom, can we have pizza instead? Disobedience is always a love problem. Always. It's always having to do with loving something more than you love the person who's wanting you to do something for them. So the issue is how do we make sure and maintain our love for God? Well, I'm glad that God didn't actually leave it to us to keep that love going. I'm glad that he actually has done something to help us with our loving God so that we're not just trying to love God and not able to love God, but we know that he is actually helping us to love him, you know? The Bible says in Romans chapter 5, verse 5, it says, But God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit he has given to us. Now, the idea is poured out. Is he's poured it out like you would pour it out of a jug and pour it out into our hearts, and he's done it liberally, so there's more and more and more of it there. Yeah, I remember the, the first days I gave my heart to Jesus, and I remember you know, the feeling of sins forgiven and, and having, a, you know, having all that guilt lifted from my life, and I remember how... That felt really good. And I felt God was really close to me. And that, but they were, they were early days. Listen, we often let love build itself on some emotional situation rather than on content and faith. Everybody say content and faith. Okay, content is the subject matter and faith is believing the subject matter. Okay, the content. Your love is not built on some sensual emotion. It's built on content exercised through your faith. So like um, the movie, she said, can you remember mum, how loving mum was? There was some content in her life. She could draw back and say, listen, mum has been so faithful to you. Your friends were rat bags and your mum came through, she didn't put you down, you know, remember, don't you love mum, remember that, I remember that, yes, I remember that, she said. She was talking with a conscience. There was some content for her love. Mum's behaviour gave substance to her love toward her mother. She could, she could reflect on her mother's behaviour and say, you know what, I love mum because she has been so faithful to me. She had the content of her love or the faith, her, her love rose from the content of her mother's behavior toward her. That's where it came from. So God has given us plenty of reasons to love him. In Titus chapter 3, verses 3 to 7, at one time we, were too, we too were foolish and disobedient, deceived and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. We lived in malice and envy, being hated and hating one another. 
But when the kindness and love of God our Saviour appeared, it was tangible. When the kindness of love of God our Saviour appeared, John says this in First John, he says, that which we have seen from the beginning, which we have heard with our eyes, seen with our, sorry, heard, heard with our ears, seen with our eyes, heard, heard with our ears, and looked on with our, and our hands have touched, this we proclaim to you concerning the word of life. He says, the life appeared, we have seen it and testified to it, and we proclaim to you the eternal life which was in the Father and which has appeared to us. John was saying, this love that we saw coming from Jesus coming from God, was something tangible. We saw it with our eyes, we touched it with our hands, we heard it with our ears, we interfaced with it. It had substance to it. And because the love of God had some substance to it, he said it's easy to love back. When he loved us, we loved him. So he initiated the love, it says in 1 John 4, 19, it says, because he loved us, we love him. So he initiated the love and we were reciprocating the love back to him. So it has substance. It's not premised on some music, soft music playing in the background. Now when you close your eyes and I hear the soft music playing and you feel this emotional surging in your spirit because you're getting all emotionally, it's like a sensual thing. As soon as you go out to the cold wind of winter and things are all bad around you, all of a sudden the cold atmosphere cuts away the warm feeling that you get with God, and it's like, ah, oh, I don't feel the love anymore. You've got to feel love, you know, you, you put on the incense, or you put on the nice, quiet music, you sit it down, and it's all cosy, you're drinking hot chocolate, and oh, it's all nice to feel God's love in that circumstance. But put yourself out in the cold wind of winter blowing on you, what are you going to feel when it's not so warm and cosy? So your love cannot be built upon the sensual. It has to be built upon the person and work of Jesus at the cross. And if you don't understand what that was, then you're going to have problems loving God. If you don't understand what he did when he poured out his life for you, then you're going to have troubles interfacing with Jesus on a love basis. If you don't understand that you were lost in your sins, and that meant that when you died and you breathed the last, and everybody dies and you breathed the last, you were going to be thrown headlong into hell to be punished forever, and you didn't really get that, you won't know what you've been saved from. If you never saw how broken you are and how, how disgusting your life is before God in your sin and in your rebellion, if you've never seen that, you don't know what God has saved you from. You don't know what the work of the cross took. You don't know what the resurrection means. You don't know the content. And if you don't know the content of that stuff, you don't experience the love. You're waiting for, I come along to church and I feel really nice, warm feelings. Everybody's so loving and kind. And they should be, yeah. But listen, you're going to have to go back out in the world and the godly shall suffer persecution. And you better understand God's love out there when you're facing persecution because certainly you're not going to get any love from those out there who are persecuting you. So your love has, and it, the inner love inside of you, which is poured out by the God's Holy Spirit, has got to be built upon the content of what Jesus has done and your faith in that. That's the substance from where you get your love from. It comes from what he's done inside of you. He said, he saved us, verse 5 of Titus, it says, he saved us not because of the righteous things that we had done, but because of his mercy. 
And he saved us through the washing and rebirth and the renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ, our Savior. If you don't see Jesus as your Savior, you won't love him. Get this idea. If you drop into the deep end of a pool and you're drowning and you're struggling to get your air, you come up, you, you, you open your mouth, you get half a breath in, half a breath of water, and down you go again. Now then you're coughing. You know, the panic starts to feel. You're struggling harder to get to the surface again. And as you come up to the surface again, you get only a half a mouthful of air and more water goes down your throat and into your lungs. And now you're really panicking. How do you feel about the person who gra- grabs you and pulls you out of that water? And you're able to get a fresh lung full of air. How do you feel about that? You see, none of us really look at ourselves as being drowning in our sins. None of us has a real concept of what really is happening when we have not got Christ in our lives. And because we don't really see how damned we were and how dead we were in our transgressions and sins, we never ever get to see how saved we are on this side of the line. And we don't ever express our love to him and say, man, if you hadn't picked me up out of the ground, I would have been. You can't imagine where you would have been if it had been not Jesus who lifted you from the grave. You can't imagine what you would have been involved with. You may, some of you may have even been be dead now and in hell if it hadn't been for the grace of God. But because we don't encounter that and we don't connect with that content, Our faith is built upon some song we sing on Sunday or some emotion that we feel rather than on the content of what Jesus has done for us. And faith in that. I love Jesus because of what he did for me. He is my saviour. Not because there's warm music and a nice place to sit. Because of what he did to reach down and to pick me from the grave. What it cost him what he was willing to go through, the whipping and the nails and the torture. And then what he did when he rose from the dead again and said, it's all finished now. Walk in newness of life and gives me an option when I didn't have an option before. In 1 Peter 1, verse 3 to 5, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an an inheritance that can never perish or spoil or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you and through faith... Uh, who, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of, of, that, of the salvation. This is ready to be... That is ready to be revealed in the last times. He says, this is it. This is what you got. This is what Jesus did. This is the content of Jesus. And it says, and in this you greatly rejoice. So what are we greatly rejoicing in? The content that Jesus has done all this for us. We've got an inheritance in heaven that we've got somewhere to go. That's the content. In this content you greatly rejoice. For that now, for a little while you might go through some suffering. He said it doesn't matter, this suffering, this grief, in all kinds of trials, it doesn't matter. He says you're rejoicing not that everything is running smooth for you. You're rejoicing in the content that your Savior saved you. And even if you're dead tomorrow, you're dead with him and he's with you and you'll, you'll not see the second death. And some of us are too young to even contemplate our immortality. I'm not. Some of you are too young to understand that you could not be here tomorrow. 
And that if, if Jesus didn't do this work for you, you'd be lost. Peter goes on and says in First Peter, verse, well, he says, Though you have not seen him, you love him. And though you do not see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy and inexpressible, joy inexpressible and filled with glory. You know, he says, you know, this content does not mean that you go, if I could, only I could see you, Jesus, if I could see you face to face. No, you don't, you don't need to do that anymore. You just need to read the word, love the word, read what it says that he did for you, put your faith in that. And he will fill you with inexpressible joy and love will overflow your life and you can start to love Jesus more than anything else. You don't need to have violins playing in the background. Nice music and a nice place to sit. You need to fill your life with the love of God. Love what, love what he did for you and thank him every day. Oh, we went away on holidays with Jenny and we watched a movie. It was called uh, The Son of God. Have everybody seen that movie, The Son of God? Sort of a, it's a, like a, the life of Jesus, uh, the last three years of Jesus in, a, in about an hour and a half, ending up in his resurrection. I just got so emotional. Did you get emotional, Jenny? You didn't, didn't you? I got emotional with it. I, I started, it was all, I'm sitting there, saying, that's not right. That's not what the Bible says. This is not right. This is in the wrong time. You know, that happened before. And then, so I, I could, you could see it. But you know what? And, and he was much more handsome than probably Jesus ever looked like. But you know what? The work of Jesus was displayed there. The, the salvation that he brought was displayed in the movie. The grace that he was showing was displayed in the movie. I saw Matthew say, be, be merciful to me, a sinner. I saw him saying the words you know, in front of a Pharisee who thought he was just top. And I thought, that's it, that's it, that's it. That's the content. That's why I love Jesus so much. You know, I, if you can't see that, you will never feel his love. You will never know his love if you can't see how badly you are lost without him. But if you see it and you know it, then you'll have this love strengthened. And Paul says it can be strengthened. And he prayed this prayer, that you may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth. I like that, the breadth and the length, and the height, and the depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. You know, you can experience and know something that you cannot even put a, a framework of words around. You can experience something of God so real and so dynamic that you can't even begin to express in words. It defies expression because you feel, because you know the love of God that's just being poured out on you. And, and some of you need to get on your knees and say, God, I want to know the love of God. I want to just fill me, baptize me with your love. Show me where I was. Show me what you did and take me where you want me to go. And leave yourself open to feel the love of God in your disposition. Afresh. Have a passionate love for God afresh. So that you love him with all of your heart. You love him with everything that's in you. He says that the love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to all the fullness of God. So that God is so desirous to pour out his love into your life. We get so caught up in the, the mundane stuff, don't we? The stuff that goes on around, we get upset and we get annoyed and we get that body and you know you need to take yourself away sometime put yourself in a quiet room sometime shut all the doors around you sometime have a little talk to yourself and say self 
recognize what you were before Jesus came into your life. Now look at what Jesus did for you and go through the last parts of the chapters of Matthew, Mark, Luke and John and read what he did. Read the content of what he did and say he was doing it for you. Engage with that so that you understand that your sins put him on the cross. Engage with that. Understand that you nailed him there. Your sins nailed him there. Get to grips with that and then let see the resurrection as he comes and he forgives you and he, he frees you and he empowers you to live differently. Disobedience is a love problem. When you love something more than you love him, if you've got disobedience in your life, love him more. And if you don't love him more, go take yourself somewhere and learn to love him more because you can learn to love him more. Jesus says, if you love me, you'd keep my commandments. It's simple. I mean, we think, oh, that's pretty hard, isn't it? He's conditioning his love on you obeying him. He's saying, like, if you don't do what I say, I'm not going to love you. No, no, he's saying, if you don't do what I say, you don't love me. That's the thing. If you don't do what I'm asking you to do, you obviously don't love me. If you love me, you would obey me. Disobedience and willfulness is a love problem. Now ask yourself the question, what's God asking you to do? What's God wanting you to do? And are you willingly saying, God, Jesus, I'm willing to do that? Or you're saying, you know, it's all too tough, giving that last thing away, you know, having that last drink or having that last cigarette, or living my life in abandonment to him and not trying to control everything myself, just trusting him. I don't think I can do that. It's too hard. Love him more. Love him more. And if you don't love him more, get down to love him more. Get down and say, God, I'm not getting off my feet until I love you more. I'm not getting out of this place until you pour your love into my heart and I get up and I feel the love of God inside of me surging because of what you did me. Study his death, study his resurrection and understand that. Get the content in your life. Put your faith there and say, he did it for me. And let that change your disposition. Philippians 1 verses 9 to 11 says, And this is my prayer for you, that your love may abound still more and more in knowledge and depth of insight. And that's not in feelings and some sort of emotional state. In knowledge and depth of insight. What's your love to abound in knowledge and depth of insight? So that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless. Making the right choices. Being obedient. I know it's easy, young people, to say, Mum always been... You saw it played out in front of you. I lived that. You lived that. We all know that scenario. But you know what? It's usually willful rather than, well, let's have pizza. It's usually the willful option. We just slam the door and we hate mum and we did. We let her know that we just, and we, we storm out and we, and we wait for a night to go past. We go to sleep and, and mum is still consistent in the morning. She's nice and friendly and dad's friendly to us in the morning. But we still, rah, rah, rah. we still don't have the love because we're just living in the wrong place. So God is really desirous for you to love you more. He's going to pour, he's poured out all of his love upon you. He can't pour out any more. You have to pick it up and put it on. And it may abound in you in knowledge and depth of insight. So you start to see things differently. 
So you have an insight on something that's different so that you may be able to discern what is best. What's the best choice here? Go out to the party without mum's approval or stay at home and comply? Be willful and disobedient? Express my own mind against God? Or say, not my will be done, but yours be done, Jesus? You know, love is the solution to every problem in your life. Just love God more. Obey him. Love him more. He says, and he will fill you with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. You want to be filled with the fruit of righteousness? Just let your love abound still more and more knowledge and depth of insight. Amen? God, help us to understand that truth. Let's stand up. Now, some of you don't feel like loving God or you don't feel that you're loving God. You say, you know, I, I, say, I can say with my mouth I love God, but I don't have this equal sense in my spirit that I love him. It's just, it's like my heart is cold. Like, like in my mind, I know I have to say I love God, but in my spirit, what I have is a coldness towards God. I kind of think he's mean. And, and there's a distance between him and I. It's like he's on the other side of the court and he's going to punch me every time that he can get a, a punch in there. That's how God is. He's like waiting to hit me. If that's what you're feeling, I want you to put your hand up because I want to pray for you today because God loves you. He took the blows for you. If you feel distant from God, you need to get that sorted so that you feel connected to him. If you feel like you're estranged from God or separated from God or somehow he's, he, he, you're on the end of the, the stick from God rather than his loving grace is abounding to you, you need to sort that. So I want you to raise your hand if you're feeling that. Put your hand up high if you think that that's where God's sort of mean and I'm feeling that he's mean. Right, I'm just gonna, there's, there's a deception that's going on there. It tries to undo or take away the grace that God has poured out for you tries to block your mind from all the wonderful things that he's doing for you on a daily basis. So I'm going to pray for you that God will change that in your mind. Place your hand on your mind if that's what you're feeling. Father, I just pray for those who are resting their hands on their heads, Father, and I ask, oh God, that you would touch them by your spirit. Lord, they so need to know that you love them. Baptize them with a sense of your great grace and your mercy which you poured out for them on the cross, Lord Jesus. That you are for them, not against them. That, Lord, your commands are not grievous, O God. Lord, they are there for their good and not for their stumbling, Lord Jesus. Lord, so minister to them by your Holy Spirit right now. Pour out your love into their minds and into their hearts, O God. As they wait on you this week, Lord Jesus, explode their minds with your goodness and your grace, which abounds to them freely in the name of Jesus. I ask that you just take them and strengthen them, Lord Jesus, this week. Lord, that you keep them in the love of God. Lord, I pray for the rest of this congregation, O oh God, that you help us, Lord Jesus, by your Holy Spirit to rise up 
in these last days to overcome every idea that would try and undermine our compassion and our mercy that you've been poured upon us, Lord Jesus, and the, and the strength of the grace that you've given us. Lord, everything that would try and undermine us to compromise us, Father, we would pray that you'd give us wisdom, Lord Jesus, eyes to see it, Father. And Lord, that we would draw into you, Father, and draw from you, Father, greater grace, O oh God, to overcome every obstacle. I ask it in Jesus' mighty name. And everyone said, Amen. Amen. God bless you.